You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Welcome to Life Community Church. My name is Adam. I am uh, filling in for Steve today. So, if this is your first time with us, uh, and you think, man, that preacher's just not that great, it's okay. Next week it'll be better. Next week will be better, I promise. <clears throat> so, uh, we are beginning a—actually, before we even start that, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for another opportunity to present your word. God, I thank you for everybody who's here today. And God, I pray, and maybe this is just for me, but God, I pray that you quiet our minds, quiet our hearts, help us to hear from you. God, we know that your word speaks to us. Um, It helps us grow. So God, I pray that you would do that through your word today. And God, I pray that you would help me to be faithful messenger today, and that you would just use what's said here. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, good morning again. Uh, hopefully you all had a, had a safe and happy 4th of July holiday. I know we celebrated um, in the traditional way of celebrating the 4th of July by setting off fireworks and uh, eating a roast beast, as we like to call it in our family. Um, so we had a, a good holiday. Hopefully you did also. Today we are beginning a, the, a new series called Set Apart, talking about, okay, so what does it look like to live as people representing the fruit of the Spirit? What does it look like in our daily lives? We, we've laid the foundation of what is the fruit of the Spirit? How does God cultivate that? How does God grow that in our lives? But then how do we, how do we actually take that and then actually live it in the way that we do everything else in life, right? Because there's lots of stuff that happens in life, right? That's kind of the nature of life, isn't it? And now it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like there's lots of extra strange stuff that happens in life, right? And every time I say that, I think to myself, I should quit using that phrase. Like, I'm going to overuse it. It's not going to make sense anymore. And then every time I think that, I hear something else that's happened that's also kind of strange. I'm like, nope, that's, that's the only word, only word I can think of for it. It's just unusual times in which we live. And it can be difficult to know how to respond to those things. How do I respond as a Christian? How do I respond as a follower of Christ to all these different things going on in the world today? Not just the big stuff going on, but the little stuff in our daily lives, in the way our own personal lives may be affected by what's going on in the world, or just life in general, because there's always something, right? There's always something else that we're trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to respond to this thing? And part of what being set apart means, at least in theory, in my opinion, 
is we start to take on a new identity, right? Not that we like, uh, Jason Bourne just came to mind. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever seen that movie or not before. Probably not, because anyways. Uh, anyways, uh, he, he has this new identity, right? He doesn't remember who he used to be and who he was anymore. He's like, I'm Jason Bourne and I'm on the run. That's... So, it's like a 30-second synopsis of the movie. You're welcome. Uh, you don't need to watch it now. Um, there's a little bit more calm. Anyways, whatever. So I'm not saying like that, where we completely forget who we are, but how we respond to things changes. And I can't think of a better way to phrase this, and it's the best way I can think of. It doesn't mean it's the best way to explain this. It's just the best way I can think of, which means like it's way down here somewhere, and there's other ways that are way up here, but... This is all I got. This is all I'm working with today. It's all I have. The best way I can think of to explain this new identity that happens when we begin to follow Christ and we try to respond the way he wants us to is kind of like becoming a parent, kind of like becoming a dad, right? So I remember when that happened to me, I became a dad, and then slowly things started to change for me, right? I started taking on new behaviors and new attitudes about life. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, um, or maybe just as a parent, or you observed somebody else from a distance and thought to yourself, why is that happening? That's strange. Like, one of the things that started happening was, so just wandering through the house, right, and mumbling to no one in particular, why are all the lights on, right? Just kind of shut them off, shut them off. And then we were talking about this in between services. Last night we were coming home, and we were driving down the road, and we saw some lights on upstairs, and we saw some lights on in our, in our laundry room. We thought, ah, the kids left the lights on again. And then we pulled into our driveway, and the lights were on in the garage. And it was like, ah, dad left the lights on again. Ah, man. I, I still mumbled and complained about it. And it's because what you do as a dad, right? And another thing that changed as a dad, like, I, I suddenly became, had more knowledge about things right? I just knew about everything all of a sudden. It's like wisdom from upon high came upon me. It was like, I just know everything about everything now because I'm a dad. That's the way it is. Um, or at least that's what I want to project to my kids. And they're in here now, so now they know, they know the truth. Dad doesn't actually know everything. <sighs> I ruined their childhood. Um, right? But you start to think about things just a little bit differently when you become a parent, or maybe when you get married or graduate high school or graduate college, right? Your perspective on life changes just a little bit. You start to think about things differently, start to respond to things differently. Maybe you have new responsibilities now. You have different things that you care about. And that's part of what it means to be set apart, is how do I respond to these things now. I used to respond to situations like this. Maybe you used to get upset. Maybe you used to rant and rave. Maybe you still do a little bit. But now I I need to respond like this because I have have a different identity that I'm living from now. My primary role now is not just to represent me, but as a follower of Christ. My role, my identity is a follower of Christ. And that's the bigger purpose that I'm living for now, is to try to represent him. It's not about making Adam look good or making Adam look intelligent and talking about Adam in the third person, which is weird. I didn't do that during first service. I apologize. It's not about making me look smart or intelligent, right? But it's about representing Christ well. That's the primary focus now. And it's very, very, very easy to lose sight of all that. 
because things are crazy, right? Different things happen all the time, and we have to figure out, okay, how do I respond Is this now? And I think Peter has an interesting perspective for us. So we'll be in 1 Peter. We'll start in chapter 1, and then we'll move on very quickly to chapter, chapter 2. But he has an interesting perspective for a few reasons. We'll give a little bit of a background now. So the book of Peter is written by Peter. There's some debate about that, but it's fine. It's written by Peter. Um, it was written during the time that this guy named Nero was the emperor. And maybe I'm not familiar with that name, but he was an emperor of Rome. Uh, he was a particularly bad emperor of Rome. Rome was kind of a, an oppressive government to begin with, and then Nero came in, and it got kind of more oppressive. Um, during Nero's reign, uh, around 64 AD, there was widespread persecution, like state-sponsored persecution of the faith of Christianity that started during his reign. And that persecution then eventually led to Peter's martyrdom. He died during the reign of Nero, during all of that chaos that happened. But even prior to that, there's just this growing frustration with the followers of the way, as they were referred to as. There's just growing, just kind of discontent with the way that Christianity's followers of Christ did things. You see it in the book of Acts a lot, where Paul goes in and he's preaching, and these good things are happening, but then it changes some things for some people. Like there's one in particular that always comes to mind, where Paul goes in, he starts preaching the city, and this girl that's demon-possessed, she gets healed and restored and it's awesome, and some people are really excited, and then other people are like, but I was like kind of using her to make money, um, so now I'm mad, so I'm going to start a riot, and I'm going to beat you up, Peter, Paul. And that's kind of what happened, and that was, that was going on all over the Roman Empire, where these, the followers of Christ, like, they were just choosing to do life differently, to live for something more important than just the temporary, and it didn't really sit well with a lot of people. A lot of people got mad about it. All right, so Peter's writing this letter into that, right? And he's writing this letter to a widespread group of people, right? Uh, the introduction is not this, but the introduction to the book of Peter, words are hard, to the book of Peter could essentially be attention everybody, right? All followers of Christ everywhere throughout the known world. This is for you. Whereas like a lot of Paul's letter was like to the church at Corinth, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Galatia, and everywhere else Paul wrote a letter to. This one's written for everybody, everywhere, which means it's a diverse group of people with different perspectives on life, different attitudes about life, probably had natural inclinations that were different from each other, I probably didn't all look the same, didn't all act the same, didn't all think the same. But these truths that Peter lays down here are foundational truth, right? Because it's the Word of God. And the, as we try to think through these ideas of identity and purpose, and there's a few other big themes in, the, in Peter's letter here, but these are the ones that will stick on. Those things need to be founded I'm just trying to make up a word like foundationalized. Found, they need to be founded on the truth of God's word. Otherwise, it all just falls apart. Because nothing else is stable. Because the world has always been just a little bit chaotic. And it will always be just a little bit chaotic. Next year, we'll look back at 2020 and be like, oh man, at least it's not 2021, right? This is really crazy now, right? Like that's the way it always is. And but this, the truth of God's word, that doesn't change. And we can always hold fast on that. We can always stand firm 
And that, Paul tells us in his letter to the church at Ephesus, he says, after having done everything you can to stand, stand firm. You've done everything that you think you can to do to stand. Keep standing firm on the truth of God's word. So that's what Peter lays out for us here. So we'll start in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So Paul's laying a foundation here, right? Everything he's about to say to us in chapter 2, every kind of encouragement that he gives us here in chapter 2 is based on this foundational truth. You've been saved by the grace of God. You've changed. You're not the person that you used to be. You are a new creation now. The old has passed, right? Maybe we've heard that hymn and we've heard those verses. But everything that Peter's about to lay out here is because of this. And because of that, our focus has to change, right? Now, that change doesn't happen overnight, right? I didn't, the moment my son was born, I didn't automatically go into dad mode, right? It didn't just happen that way. It took time to where now there are times when I will say things and I hear my own father's voice coming out of my mouth. I'm like, what is that? That is not cool. I don't like that. I really hope he's watching this online so he hears me say that. Um, Because he knows. Anyways, it doesn't just happen overnight, but over time, we start to change the way we think of things. As God's Word continues to mold us and shape us and mold us into the more perfect image of who God is, we start to think and we start to act differently. Why? Because we get a better understanding of what it is God has actually called us to, and we get a better understanding of who God actually sees us as. So let's move on. First Peter Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. He says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. There's that idea of growing up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones, built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So there's a few things here that Peter points out to us. I'm going to spend some time with each of them. First thing he comes out heavy out of the gate, right? So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy. 
I don't know if you're like me or not, but maybe you're more pure and more holy than I am. There's a good possibility of that. But anyways, there's a thought that comes to my mind when I hear that. So put away all malice. There's in the back of my head that kind of thinks, but what if they kind of deserve malice? Like that, sometimes that feels kind of good, right? Like if we're being honest, sometimes it's kind of fun to get mad at somebody. I don't know if you ever experienced that or not, but maybe not. Okay. Um, that's okay. That's okay. That's fine. I'll just, uh, yeah, me neither. Me neither. I never get mad at anybody. Never. Other people do though, right? But he says, put away all malice, all hypocrisy, and all deceit, right? Part of it is in our speech and the way that we talk. As Christians, our primary purpose is not to tear people down, but to build people up and to point them towards Christ, right? There's a great uh, thought that Paul lays out in his in the book of Galatians, where he talks about if you see a brother or sister in sin, you should go to that brother and sister in love and try to bring them back to the right path, bring them back to God, right? The point of doing that is not to kick them while they're down, right? It's not to see, oh, they're stumbling. Let me kick their knees out from underneath them so they can stumble and fall some more and we can all point and laugh. That's not what Peter's saying. We need to build them up. And as I as I think about this and as I look out at, you know, Christianity as a whole, like the whole body of Christ, I think we kind of struggle with this sometimes, if we're being honest with ourselves. As a, a body of believers, the church universal, I think sometimes we are quick when we see a brother or sister stumble, we're quick to, I knew that would happen, right? I knew they were playing kind of loose with the truth there. Like I knew that would happen eventually. There's this thing that happens inside of us where like, yep, they're wrong. I knew they're wrong. But I think what, what Peter's saying here is that, that's not the point, guys. Right? The point is like, yes, truth is truth. But my, my reasoning, my desire in presenting truth is not to tear down, but to build up. There's, there's a better way. And I think, isn't that the way Jesus does it? Like, isn't that the way Jesus lives his life completely? Like, like there's, like, there's a better way to do this. Like, yes, there is truth. Go and sin no more. But man, over here, there's a way that leads to life. Let's go with that one. Like, that's a better one for all of us. So Paul, Peter comes out very quickly. Put away all malice. And that's, that's tough sometimes when people around us have different perspectives on life, isn't it? Right? Because we have this thing... I do anyways. Again, maybe not you guys, but I have this thing where I kind of like being right. Like, feels kind of good. Like, yeah, that's right, I'm right. Of course I am. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it feels really good. But I imagine, and maybe this is where some of Peter's perspectives on life, some of his life experiences come to play. So something that's always fascinated me, and maybe I've mentioned this before, is the group of disciples that Jesus chose. Right? Those 12 guys went on and they changed the world, right? It was 12, then became an 11 because one of them wasn't a very nice guy and it was kind of bad. And then they replaced him, and then it was 12 again. And then there's Paul, who just kind of like doing his thing. Anyways, but he started with these original 12 guys, and they are all wildly different from each other, okay? Some of them more so than others. On one, there's this guy named Matthew, who is a tax collector, which means he works for the Roman government. And mentioned before, Roman government 
The Jewish people, not a big fan of the Roman government, right? But Matthew, he starts working for them. So that means people probably didn't like him very much. And that was kind of the way it was in the day with a person who was a tax collector. Like Jesus talks about all the time, like sinners and tax collectors, right? There's like, there's the sinners and then there's the tax collectors. And every time Matthew hears that, he's probably like, come on, man, I'm right here. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about me for? But, right, so there's that guy. And then there's the other guy named Simon, Simon the Zealot, which implies he's a revolutionary, right? He wanted to tear down the oppressive Roman government, right? So Simon the Zealot, revolutionary. Matthew the tax collector, working for the government, the revolutionary wants to tear down. And then Jesus puts them together and says, you guys, be friends. Like, <laughs> go change the world, right? I wonder what that was like. Like, I wonder what some of the campfire discussions were like. And I wonder if maybe, like the way I imagine, again, overactive imagination, use a little bit of creative storytelling here. If every once in a while, Peter just kind of like, just threw, threw a statement, like into the conversation, just kind of like, I wonder how they'll respond to this. Because that kind of seems like Peter, right? Peter's just always kind of saying stuff. And then everybody's like, why'd you say that, Peter? thought it, so I said it, right? So I wonder if maybe sometimes Peter's going to throw something in there. Let's see how Simon and Matthew respond to this. I wonder if dirt was ever thrown around the fire. I imagine that it was. I don't know that for sure, but they had these wildly different perspectives, but they became part of this family that was following Christ. And the impact they had on the world cannot be overstated. In the end, they both died for the same thing. They were both willing to give their life for Christ and for the truth of his word. All those other things that were so important to them up until that point became secondary because they were living for something bigger now. And I think that's part of what it means to be set apart is that I have a different identity now. The things that I'm trying to get across to people isn't always the same as what it used to be. Now, our primary focus is this, is to represent him well. That's, our, that's who we are now, and that's our purpose. He goes on to say that you're a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood. You've been set apart for a reason. The purpose is to point people towards Christ. And don't we all, if we're being honest with ourselves, struggle with those two big questions? Who am I? And what has God put me here for? What is my purpose? Who has he designed me to be? And how am I supposed to live that thing out? And Peter has given us some glimpses into that. Now, each of us probably do that a little bit differently. Some people stand here on stage and say things that they think are funny, but they're actually not that funny. That's me. All right? And some of us go out, all of us go out into the whole world and present the gospel to everyone. And just the way that we live and the way that we carry ourselves, we can have a huge impact on people. My grandfather is... um, Mike Carroll, some of you probably know him. Um, if you know him, that means you've received a card that has the days of the week on it. Marvelous Monday, Terrific Tuesday. Uh, I know one of you have, has it in your wallet here right, with you right now, or on your desks maybe. Wonderful Wednesday. I don't remember what Thursday is. Fabulous Friday. Don't tell him I don't remember what Thursday is, because he'll make sure I know. But anyways, that man is not an official pastor, Right? But he has impacted more people than I could possibly hope to impact. 
He's done more for the cause of Christ just by being a good man that cares about people. And it's phenomenal. We don't need the fancy title. We don't need the fancy thing. We can't look at representing Christ and say, well, that's not me because I'm not called to this. I'm not called to that. This is for all of us. Remember, Peter's writing this with the header, attention, everybody. That's a hard word to say. Attention, everybody. You are a royal priesthood. God sent you apart to represent him well. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what your life circumstances have been. God has called you to this. Wherever it is he's placed you. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in an office. Maybe it's in a factory. Maybe it's as a mom, as a dad. Represent him well. But Peter's not done. He goes on in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's hammering that point home. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, his meaning God's. That you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think this might be the most important little chunk of scripture that I read here today. And I think we lose sight of the importance of this. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now, now you are a people. I think if we could wrap our minds around just the incredible greatness of God's love for us and the phenomenal work that is salvation in our lives, I think it would change everything about us. It would change the way we live. It would change the way we respond. Like if we truly understood that, no, no, I am God's own possession. Like, he loves me so much that he saw me as not, not a part of a people, and he made me a part of a family. That is huge. That is huge. And if we could get that in our heads, if we could not, not, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, so it changed the way we actually lived, if we could get that in our hearts, I think it would change everything about us. All the fear, all the insecurity, all the worry, all the things that stress us out that we don't actually need to stress out about. Now, there are still frustrating things in life. But when I know that I am his, like the almighty creator of the universe who spoke and the world's left into existence, like, I'm his. Like, that's no small thing. He is desperately, passionately in love with me and in love with you. Like, as a father, I mentioned it before, I'm, I'm a very imperfect father. I'm not always very good at it. But there is something that I want my kids to know. Like, I want them to know that I, I will do everything I can to protect them. I will I'll do everything that I can to make sure they're safe. How much more will our Heavenly Father do the same for us? How much more can we trust in Him? And just quit, just quit trying to figure it all out on our own. It's just, just know that we're His. Know that He loves us. We're His people. And when that gets deep down into our hearts, 
our lives change. The way we respond, the things we get frustrated about, the purpose for which we live, all of that changes when I know that I am His. Peter continues, he says this, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which will rage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, I love that Peter's not like, just in case anybody ever says anything bad about you, just in case that happens, he says, no, no, when it happens, like when they speak, uh, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. So what Peter's saying here is, as sojourners, as exiles, as people who are just passing through, who remember that this is not the final destination, right? All things will be new eventually. God will remake the heavens and the earth, and that's our eternal home. This is not where we spend eternity. This life is not the only thing that we're living for. As people who are thinking that way, let your actions be honorable, so that when they come against you, there's nothing they can say bad about you, right? And there's this idea that we have sometimes, again, maybe it's just me, but this idea that like, everybody should kind of like me. <laughs> everybody should kind of agree with what I think because I think it, right? Now, now sometimes I'm wrong a lot, right? But there's this thing that happens, and maybe this doesn't happen to you, but where if somebody's like not happy with something that I said, like I get kind of like frustrated about that and just kind of like, I don't, like, that's where, like, I want to go to malice, right? I want to go to slander. You said something mean about me. But, but we act like we're surprised when that happens, or when people reject the truth of God's word. We act like we're surprised when that happened, but we were told it'll happen to us. In fact, earlier, I read it before, Peter says the stone, Christ is the stone that the builders rejected. Like, they rejected Christ. They looked at the perfect embodiment of God's love, and they said, I'm going to go do it this way, right? And then we, we get confused when that happens to us. But even in that, Peter's pointing out that the point is not to make yourself look good. The point is so that when that day of visitation comes, and there's some different thoughts on exactly what that means, whether that means Christ returning, or when the opportunity for salvation presents itself to non-believers, which is kind of what my thinking is on it, so that when that day comes, they have a good frame of reference of what that actually looks like, of what it means to actually follow Christ. They can think back to their interactions with somebody, to Mike Carroll, and think, yeah, like, I want to follow that. Like, I want to live. If that's what he has, that's what I want in my life also, right? Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? I want to represent him well so that when that opportunity comes for whoever it is I may interact with in my life, they can look, they can't use me as an excuse. Well, that Adam guy, he's kind of a jerk. So all of our Christians are jerks. I don't want to be like that. I don't want my life to be a stumbling box. Somebody, I'm going to mess things up on accident. Like, I've been preaching for like, I don't know how long, and I've messed up about 55 things, right? So there's going to be a few more that happen as we go on here today. But as much as I can, I want to make sure that I represent him well. And part of that is I'm living, again, for that bigger purpose. And part of it also means that the things that are happening, I don't have to live in fear of them. Because 
This isn't the end. This isn't the final thing for me. I'm just moving on to something else, right? So again, maybe not the best analogy, but one of the best ways I can think about this is um, I've been involved in, in a couple roofing projects. And I try, try to avoid them as much as I can. And I said in first service, uh, my wife wasn't here, so I can use this one. I'll have to find a different one in second service. It didn't work out. I can't think of a different one, so this is what we're going with. But we remodeled our roof, redid our roof a few years ago, and uh, we had a, a group of friends come around us. It was a huge blessing. They helped us tear off all the shingles and put new shingles on and tar paper and all the, all the roofing things, right? I don't know what any of them are. I just, I heard some other guys use the word, so now I try to use them in a way that makes sense. We did all the roofing things, put the, put the stuff down and everything, right? And it's nice. It's good. It's very helpful. But the day that we chose to do this, it was a beautiful, glorious, clear weekend, right? Not calling for any rain. We get all the shingles off. Still a nice day. Take a little break for lunch. And then as we're taking a break for lunch, a storm cloud shows up in the distance, right? And starts to slowly roll in towards your house. And the way I remember it, in my distorted way of thinking, is it stopped over top of our house and just, just, just poured down rain, right? And we had nothing on our roof yet. We weren't trying, we were trying to take a little break because it was hot out, eat some food, get some water in us. And it just starts raining everywhere, right? And then we have this sprinkler system inside our house that we didn't even have to install. Like there's just, there's water coming out of light, so, not light, light fixtures. There's water coming down the side of our walls, just water everywhere. It's fantastic. And, and for me, um, I think maybe I've said this before, and if not, oh well. Uh, my default emotion tends to be anger. So if I get hungry, I get hangry, right? I don't know if any of you ever do that too. Uh, when I get sad, sometimes I get kind of angry. Uh, when I'm really like upset about something, I just kind of get angry. So as this water is just pouring in everywhere, like I feel it starts to boil up inside of me, but I have some friends there, right? So I got to keep it cool, got to keep it cool, right? But one of the friends that was there, one of my best friends, uh, he, he sees this kind of like boiling up inside of me. And his response is he started kind of laughing. And which at first I was like, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> We're no longer friends. Like, uh, but it was actually like, it, oh yeah, like this is going to end. Now, the reason why he was able to do that, and we've had this discussion afterwards, was that it wasn't his house, right? It wasn't his ceiling that was now a sprinkler system that he had not intended to be a sprinkler system, right? That's why he was able to laugh about it, and I was not. And as followers of Christ, I think one of the reasons why we're able to have joy in the midst of the most chaotic circumstances is that this is not the end. This is not the final thing for us right? My hopes for eternity are not pinned up on everything that this world has to offer. My hope for eternity is based on Christ and what he has done for me. So if things fall apart all around me, yes, as a good believer, as a good follower of Christ, I want to do everything I can to represent him well and try to impact those situations to bring glory to his name and good to his people. But ultimately, I can rest. I can still have joy even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of frustrating times because this is not the end for me. I'm, a, I'm an exile. I'm just, I'm passing through this place, right? This is not my ultimate reality. God has something better for us who follow Christ. 
Now, Peter doesn't end here, right? He goes on in verse 13. And just so, before I read it, some of you are reading it already. That's fine. Before I read it, I want to point out that there's just a, just a touch of irony of reading this particular passage on July 5th, right? We just talked about celebrating uh, our forefathers' treason against the English crown uh, yesterday, which is kind of, I thought it was funny anyways. And it's challenging also. So Peter says this. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I think there's a few what-ifs that come to mind, right? What if we're told not to preach anymore, right? That's happened in other parts of the world. As Peter also said in the book of Acts, when him and the original 12, kind of 11 plus 1, right? They're doing their thing, and they're presenting the gospel in Jerusalem, and God is doing amazing things. The rulers of the day bring them in, and they beat them up a little bit, and they say, hey, don't preach the gospel anymore. And Peter and John, I think it's John, they say, it's better to serve God than it is to serve man. It's better to obey God than it is to obey man. Our ultimate authority is God. What? Are we representing him well in the way that we interact with other people? There's a second nuanced thing to this too, where in that time, the Jewish people scattered throughout the world, they would set up these little communities of, of, of fellow Jewish people, and they would live kind of under their own rule and their own law, kind of separated from the rest of the world. And I think part of what Peter's saying here is you need to engage the rest of the world. You can't run off and hide from everybody else. The world desperately needs the influence of the church. Like we need, our culture needs us to represent Christ well in a way that honors him, kind of like we talked about before, without malice, without slander, without hypocrisy. But the world needs the holy priest of God, all of us, to live and impact the world in which we live. So I think it's what, part of what Peter's saying. And then thirdly, even in the way that Peter and Paul and the rest of the early disciples, even when they disagreed with the authorities over them, it wasn't in a hateful way. It wasn't in a spiteful way. Right? And you're reading it, and you keep kind of expecting, like when Peter is on trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, there's kind of this expectation that I keep having as I'm reading it, like, okay, Peter's going to launch into them now. Like, Okay, now. Like, he, he speaks the truth to them consistently, but the way in which he does it is always respectful. It's almost like he understands that he's not trying to prove himself right. He's trying to prove God right. 
And I find it's much easier for me to kind of remove my own anger and my own frustration when I remind myself it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about Christ. And how can I respond to the situations around me? How can I respond to the world in which I live in a way that would represent him well? Not just represent the frustrations I may feel about things, the anger I may feel about things, but how can I do it in such a way that represents Christ well? It doesn't mean that those frustrations don't just like disappear and I don't have them anymore. But before I speak, before I act, I want to make sure that my primary purpose is to represent him. Because that's the ultimate identity that I carry. I'm not just representing the Carol name or representing one particular church or represent my workplace. I'm representing him. And that's bigger than all of those things. And I'm going to have peace to do that regardless of how things may shake out, regardless of how people may respond to it. I can have peace about that because... I am his. He'll take care of me. And I can trust in him. So as we pray today, maybe you're in a spot where stuff like this is difficult. I know it's difficult for me preparing for it. But I just pray that maybe through this, we would all represent him just a little bit better. Myself included. So I'll pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day again. I thank you for the opportunity to present your word. And, and God, I, I pray that I pray that I honored you in the way that I spoke today. And God, for each of us, help us to be deeply rooted in you. Help us to be deeply rooted in the love that you have for us, in the fact that we are yours, and we can rest in that. And from that place, God, I pray that we would be that holy priesthood that you've called us to be. We'd represent you well throughout the earth. We'd build people up. God, help us to do that. And as we, as we close out this song, close out this service and song today, I pray that that would be our prayer. That you would take who we are and help us look more like you. In your name, amen.